Welcome to Detox Bedtime Stories. I'm your host, Isabella Voss. Let's get settled in. Tonight, we're continuing to read Treasure Island, retold from the Robert Louis Stevenson original. Chapter 9 The Captain Has Doubts We swiftly made our way to the harbor, where the Hispaniola lay beside the other great ships. Then we met the mate, Mr. Arrow, whose earrings and squinty eye made us look twice. Shortly after, we met Captain Smollett, who asked to speak immediately to both the squire and the doctor in the squire's cabin. Well, Captain Smollett, said Mr. Trelawney, what have you to say? The captain scowled and refused to mince words. He was a plain-spoken man. I don't like men, and I don't like my officer. That's short and sweet. Of the ship, he had no complaints, but he went on to relate that he felt the men already knew too much about our quest for treasure, and he didn't think it right that he knew less than they did about our journey. I don't like treasure voyages, and I certainly don't like secret journeys, of which even the cook's parrot has been informed. He's blabbed of the treasure already. I think it's a dangerous voyage we're about to take. He complained of many things and asked if we were determined to go on with our treasure journey. Like iron, answered the squire. Well then, replied the captain, I suggest we separate the powder from the arms. I also suggest that all of your own men sleep in the same area beside the cabin. Finally, I suggest there be no more mention of this treasure. The crew already knows the exact location of the island. To this, the squire protested that he had told no one, and we believed him. But somehow the crew had gotten wind of our journey and our goal, and that was a dangerous bit of news. I don't know, added the captain, who has the map, but I demand that it be kept even from Mr. Arrow, or I shall resign. It was clear that the captain feared a mutiny, and only the doctor's assuring words were able to return him to a calm state. As for Mr. Trelawney, he took offense and scowled at the captain. I have heard you and will do as you ask, but I do not think better of you for it. 
This the captain shrugged off, and we were soon out on deck examining our fine ship. I was shown my hammock and the arrangements of the powder and weapons and our sleeping berths were soon changed. Long John Silver and two other men arrived on board shortly after and tried to protest our changes, but the captain sent them sharply below decks. That's a good man, captain, said the doctor. But it was clear the captain was reserving judgment on his entire crew. He even sent me with a sharp word below decks to help Long John, saying he would have no favorites on the ship. By then, I guarantee you, I disliked him intensely. Chapter 10 what I heard in the apple barrel, and afterward. We worked well into the night. I was thrilled with the sea talk and the quick banter of the men. As we worked, Long John raised up his crutch like a baton and started up his fast-paced sea shanty. Fifteen men on a dead man's chest, and the whole crew joined in with yo-ho-ho and a bottle of rum. Even then, in my excitement, it brought me back to our own captain at the inn. Before I knew it, we were on our voyage to Treasure Island. The voyage was long, and the Hispaniola soon proved itself to be an able vessel that sped us along on our journey. Not so with Mr. Arrow. He often seemed seasick, and though the doctor tried to look after him, he stumbled about on deck and had to be helped into bed as often as not. One day, he disappeared entirely. Well, said Captain Smollett, that's a relief. Overboard and good riddance. And with this, the captain had to find a new mate, and did so in Israel hands. The wily old seaman, who was a great friend, of Long John Silver. Long John himself turned out to be a great seaman in his own way. He was quick and nimble and ever helpful, and the men loved him dearly. I spent much of my time by his side in the galley, helping with the cooking, with Long John and his parrot for my only company. I call my parrot, he told me, Captain Flynn, after the famous pirate. At this, the pirate would squawk out, pieces of eight, pieces of eight, and would carry on 
until his master covered the cage with a shred of torn sail. He then told me of its great age and the parrot's many voyages. During this time, we drew close, and I thought him the best of men and a true friend. In the meantime, Captain Smollett and the squire remained distant. Everything about the captain's displeasure interfered with Mr. Trelawney's sense of adventure and joy at being aboard. The crew, on the other hand, never had an easier time of it, I imagine. There was good wind and good food for all, and even a big barrel of apples on deck at all times for any to take his pick of the sweet fruit. All of this the captain considered taking away from us, but as you will see, the apple barrel eventually did serve its purpose. If not for the barrel, we might have had no warning and might all have been killed in a foul manner. Late one day, as the sun was going down, I chose to go and find an apple for myself out of the barrel, finding it nearly empty, and crawled right in to get to the bottom. Once inside, I sat there with the darkness coming on and began to feel quite sleepy. Suddenly though, I heard a muffled voice and sensed a body leaning against the barrel that I knew to be Silver himself. After hearing only the first few words, I trembled with fear, for now I knew the lives of the few honest men left on board depended on me alone. The fearful whispering continued. Flint was captain, and I was quartermaster. It was on that voyage, continued Silver, that I lost my leg, and Pew lost his eyes. That ship was dripping with red blood and fit to sink with all the gold we found. I soon heard that he was spinning yarns for the youngest hands on deck, who were thrilled with his tales. I blushed to hear him use the same compliments on this lad he had used on me. I knew then I had been played for a fool. I was filled with rage and shame. We gentlemen of fortune live rough and lean, but when we get back to shore, we carry hundreds of pounds, not handfuls of coins. I began just like you, but made my fortune at sea. By now, my wife has sold my tavern and taken all my money. We'll meet up again one day, I'm sure. Oh, on our journeys, some feared Flint and some feared Pew. 
but all feared Long John Silver. There was the roughest crew afloat. The devil himself would have been afraid to sail with them. I tell you, I am not a boasting man, but you may be sure of yourself on old John's ship. It was clear the lad was under his influence, and Silver continued to flatter and stroke him. Soon enough, as John continued to talk of gentlemen of fortune, I understood he meant pirates, and that he himself was one. By and by, Israel, one of the crew, came up to talk with them. Look here, John and Dick, he said. How long are we going to stand off? I've had enough of Captain Smollett by thunder. Then Silver turned hard on the man. You'll attack now and take away the captain who can steer this ship to the treasure, all for a better berth to lay your scurvy head in. You'll wait and you'll act only on my signal. All right then, asked Israel. What do we do with them? My vote, said Long John, is death. When I'm living like a king later, I don't want survivors coming back to have me hanged. Now, Dick, have yourself a sweet apple from this here barrel, courtesy of me. With this, I froze, for I knew the game was over. I thought of running, but could find no strength. But Israel himself saved my life, saying he was too excited by the thought of their mutiny to eat anything more that day. Long John laughed, a wicked laugh, while Israel headed below decks. Suddenly, the moon came up and the call went out over the sail as the lookout shouted, Land Ho! With that, all the ship's men were on deck, trying to stare through the fog at our destination. The captain gave out orders and asked if any had seen this island. To my surprise, Long John's voice rang out, admitting he had once stayed there. When the captain asked him where we might anchor, John answered him clearly. Skeleton Island, they call it. It was a pirate's place at one time, but no more. That hill is the foremast hill, and that big one. The spyglass, as they used it for a lookout. With that, the captain produced a chart for Silver to see. As the pirate leaned forward, I saw his disappointment, for this was a new chart that laid out the island, but with no red cross or written notes leading to the treasure. Silver still pointed out where we might anchor and complimented the captain on bringing us so speedily to our destination.
I was now truly frightened of Silver, and as he drew up on me, I shivered. Oh, Hawkinson, this is a sweet spot, this island. I'll pack you a lunch, and we'll go and spend an afternoon exploring. I remember being here as a youth myself. With that, he clapped me on the shoulder and left me while I turned my attention to the doctor. I hurriedly told him that something terrible had happened and he should find an excuse to get below decks with the captain and Mr. Trelawney, and then to call down to me too. He wasted no time explaining the situation to the captain, who called all hands on deck. Lads, he said, this is the island we've been sailing for, and to celebrate, Mr. Trelawney will provide double rations today and tomorrow for every sailor on board. Please excuse us now while we go down below decks and have a feast for ourselves. With that, there was a cheer for the squire and the captain, led by Long John himself, that treacherous pirate. Then the three men headed below decks and soon called me to join them. Well, Hawkins, said the squire, speak your mind. With that, I told them all that had happened. They sat me down, patting me on the back and congratulating me for all the good work I had done. I have been a fool, the squire said, but the captain was quick to confess that he too had been taken in by the crew's hard work. Now they all cursed Long John Silver's name for leading them astray. It was time to figure out how many honest men were still on board. We counted no more than seven. There's nothing to do but wait until we know who is honest and who is not. We shall have to lay back and wait and see. That's the best we can do. Hawkins, said the squire, I put my faith in you. Whatever you can find out will be important to us. With this, I felt deep fear. There were six of us, seven if I included myself, against nineteen hardened pirates. Chapter 11 How My Shore Adventure Began The next morning, the island looked quite different. Its grey, solemn forests and stretches of golden sand, its three distinct hills, topped by the spyglass itself, all put fear into my heart. The ship rocked, and I felt seasick and ill 
and thought my adventure ruined, for I now hated the very thought of Treasure Island. Throughout the heat of the day, we worked away quietly, but the crew had suddenly become surly and mean. Only Long John tried to keep them from seeming so. It became obvious that mutiny was upon us, and as we drew up to the cove, where we would moor, not a sound stirred. The only thing we could hear was the crashing of the waves. We who had met in council only the night before knew that Long John's worry was the worst proof we could have. We met once again in the cabin to try to decide upon the course that was best. If I give another order, said the captain, there will be mutiny, and if I don't, Silver will know I am laying back because I know of his plan. Then we'd be done for. Well, said the squire, what can we do? I propose, said the captain, sending the men ashore for an afternoon. If all go over to Silver's side, we must fight the ship. If none do, we hold the cabin only. But if only some go, mark my words, Silver will bring them back calm and in order, as mild as lambs. And so, it was decided. We brought Hunter, Joyce, and Red Ruth into our plan and gave each a pistol. The captain went to the deck and announced the free leave. As many as would like, he offered, may go ashore. I will fire a gun a half hour before sundown to let you know when to return to the ship. With that, the men jumped up as if they thought they would find the treasure the minute they stepped from the boat. They ceased looking downcast and were bright and chipper. The captain quickly went below and, sure enough, Silver organized the men as if he were already their captain. The honest men who went along were just dullards or were lazy and idle. Most had to let themselves be led astray in order to avoid having to work. But it is another thing altogether to join in a plot to take a ship and murder innocent men. At the end, 13 men went ashore and six stayed on board. It was then that I became either brave or stupid I can't say which, but I decided to hide myself in one of the boats. It was not the boat Silver was in, but he saw that I had slipped aboard and called out my name more than once. When our boat landed at the first beach, I leapt out 
taking off into the trees, disappeared into the forest. I had begun to regret my decision, but I ran and kept running until I could run no more. Well, I think that's a good place to stop for the night. We'll continue next time. Thanks for joining us. Sweet dreams.